0: Oh, great to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This morning we are concluding the short series we've been doing where we're uh, looking at the way that the gospel affects our most intimate relationships. And so over the last three weeks, uh, we've been looking at sex and marriage and singleness. There's this, um, this uh, kind of section right in the middle of 1 Corinthians where in chapter 6 and 7, Paul uh, unpacks the implications of the gospel for sex and marriage and singleness. And so, um, if you're here uh, this morning and you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I feel like I need to say, this is really like part three of a, of a three-week um, sermon. And if, if um, you know, there are questions or you feel like, I oh, didn't really address that, it's because I did it last week, but, but you missed it. Um, <laughs> But I also want to say that uh, if you have questions, if you have a response, I mean, I, I would love to, I, this is always true, but especially, um, you know, talking about topics like marriage and singleness and sex um, are very personal issues. And so if there are questions or concerns, uh, I would love to, uh, to, to hear those. I'd love to sit down with you um, and talk, so please feel free to let me know. Uh, With that, let me um, invite you to stand, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to skip around a little bit, but we're going to start reading at verse 6. Uh, If you're following in one of the blue Bibles, that's on page 955. The Apostle Paul says this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, And one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Skip down to verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not uh, seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman in the Lord of the Lord. And likewise, he who was free when he was called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties, The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, would you be with us now as we give our attention to your word and as we delve into a um, topic, topic of singleness and relationships that can be, uh, for many of us, uh, filled with hope and longing and pain. Uh, God, would you give us your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. we may be seated, please. Well I want to, uh, I want to share a family picture with you um, I love this picture I, I don't usually as you know if you are a regular here I don't usually uh, do show and tell but I, I like to uh, I love this picture I love everything about this picture um, I love this picture because it's a picture of, of people that I care about uh, I love that in this picture that it kind of captures this spontaneous standing dog pile that just sort of happened Um, and I love as somebody pointed out to me that our bodies uh, form the shape of a heart in this picture I love how happy everybody is in this picture I love how everybody's having fun I love that this picture actually looks a little bit like my actual family Um, I love how this picture is quiet Right, I mean, it's a happy. I love how this picture makes our family look like a normal family. <laughs> uh, one of the things I love about this picture is what it doesn't show you. It doesn't show you that just outside the frame of this picture, there are some other members of our extended family that were there for this picture. I won't identify them, but uh, there were some other people there, and I was really, really annoyed with them. <laughs> And you can't tell from looking at that picture how annoyed I was at that moment. Uh, I love that this picture doesn't show you how painfully difficult it was to get our kids into clean clothes uh, only minutes before this picture was taken. Um, This picture is not a lie, but it's a snapshot, right? It's, It's one moment in time. And uh, one of the things that's great about this picture is I can show it to anyone, or we can post it on social media, and just receive affirmation about what a great family we have. Um, and it allows us to kind of perpetuate this idea that we are this. Well, nobody thinks this, right? But like, you could take this and say, "Wow, what a what a great, what a great family." I don't mean to be overly cynical about it, but it's just a snapshot. It's a picture of, you know, the ideal. American family, right? (laughs) But it doesn't show, it only shows the goodness. It only shows the goodness of it. Uh, It hides our faults and our failures, our sin, our shame, our struggle. And it shows us off really well. This morning we're talking about singleness. And um, that is hard to do. Uh, It's hard for me to talk about singleness because I have never really been a single adult. Ashley and I got married I think three weeks after we graduated from college. So I've never lived on my own as a single adult. So that makes it hard to talk about singleness. But it's also hard for a much more important reason. Um, It's hard because we are living in a culture that has made an idol out of romantic relationships. And uh, it's been said that we are living in the first civilization that culturally speaking does not believe in an afterlife. And yet we still have um, hopes and longings. We want to live beautiful, meaningful lives. We want to make a mark. We want to leave an impact on our world. And so what that, what that looks like for many of us and as a culture is that we channel that our longing and our desires uh, to be significant. We channel them into our relationships. And as a result, we have blown romantic love way out of proportion And we have made it this thing that it can never really be. And uh, we have this tendency to talk about being in love like it is the greatest thing in the world. Uh, And we've blown in love, this idea of falling in love, into this thing where, I mean, it can happen to you at any moment. Uh, You might just be out doing your normal stuff, and you might fall in love. And if you just, if you fall in love... You cannot control yourself any longer, and you have to do what in love demands of you. And uh, sometimes that's beautiful, and sometimes it's uh, it's heart-wrenching, because I know people, you know people, who have fallen in love, and they've had to leave their spouse and their children, and they've given up their jobs because they've fallen in love. And what else can they do? And there are others of us who long to fall in love, and we try to do everything we can to make in love come and find us. And yet, some, for some reason, it doesn't. For some reason, it doesn't happen to us. And because we've made it into such a big thing, we have people who aren't in a relationship but want to be. And at the same time, we have people who are terrified of the idea of commitment because they're afraid of falling in love at the moment. And so today What I'm trying to do is talk to All of us Uh, And it's really hard to know Where the landmines are There's certainly a lot of them But uh, my goal in this series Has been to unpack the relation the, the, The implications for Of the gospel for our most intimate relationships In sex and marriage and singleness And I believe that God has good news for us I believe that the good news of the gospel is this, that you are free to be married and you are free to be single. The gospel sets us free. And it sets us free to be single or to be married, uh, but to be loved and to love others, to be known and to know others. The gospel sets us free from the tyranny of, of romantic love that allows us to either be married or single. So there's two or three things that I want to point out to you um, in this passage this morning. The first thing that, that this passage does is, is it shows us that the gospel relativizes our relational idolatry. That's a really great point, I just want to say. I'd like i wordsmith that for all my life. the gospel relativizes our relational idolatry. Uh, What does that mean? Well, verses um, 17 and following, Paul says this. He says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but keeping the commandments of God. Then he says, each one, of the, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. If you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. And likewise, he who was free when he was called is a slave of Christ. And then he says this, you were bought the price, so do not become the slaves of men. Okay, what in the world is Paul talking about? It's confusing. <laughs> and as if that's not bad enough, he uses slavery as an illustration in here, which, um, which just is, is even more confusing for us because as Americans or those who, you know, just the time that we live in, we think of slavery in the terms of the American slave trade and and, and it was different at the time and, and so we just what is he saying what what is he saying don't get confused he's not making an argument about slavery here he's using an illustration and what he's saying basically is this if you're married that is great and if you are single that is great too and the reason that both of these are great is because whether you are single or whether you are married, he says you were bought with a price. Jesus has paid for your, for your redemption with his own body. And that means that whether you are married or single, you are deeply, deeply loved by God. He has already paid uh, for the price of your redemption. He <laughs> has bought you with his body. Christianity was the first and it might still actually be the only uh, world religion that de-stigmatized living as a single adult. Um, Christianity was the first religion to hold up the single adult lifestyle as a viable and a good option for people. And what that means is that Christianity is the... the, um, Christianity de-idolizes... Marriage. Um, don't let this throw you off. Paul is talking about um, when he talks about single people, he really has two categories of single people. He talks about those who are betrothed. Uh, that is, those who have been promised in marriage but haven't yet actually been married. Uh, kind of like being engaged, except your father made the choice for you. Um, so he talks about people who are betrothed, and then he talks about widows. Now, why did he just ignoring like the single ladies? <laughs> There, there was no such thing, right? Um, if you were anybody, you were betrothed about the age of five years old. And um, the only other option was prostitution. And um, so he's not leaving the single people out, um, but what he's doing is he's saying that there is a legitimate, good, viable option for single people. And that was revolutionary. In the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire would actually tax widows if they were not remarried within two years of the death of their husband. Uh, and the reason for that was these widows, you know if they did not get remarried, I mean, the, the options for a woman, an unmarried woman in the Roman Empire um, were, were basically none. And so if you were to find uh, food and shelter and safety as a woman, it had to be because you were married. And so the Roman Empire would tax these widows if they didn't get remarried within two years because they would otherwise be an enormous burden on society. And the Gospel created an option for people where it said it's okay to be unmarried. And uh, the church didn't just act like a family. The church was a family. And this became such a good and viable option, uh, especially for widows, that the church would come around and care for it's widows, that 20 years after Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, he writes to his protege Timothy, I think in 1st or 2nd Timothy he says this, where he, he writes to Timothy and he says, don't add every single widow to the list of widows that are being cared for by the church. It's not, because there have been so many widows that it, it began to be this burden on the church. And Paul is saying, we're happy to care for any widow who needs our care. But if they have children, if they have other families that can care for them, don't add them to the, to, the, uh, to the list to receive care. The gospel takes marriage off this pedestal that we put it on, and it removes the idolatry of relationships and gives us a new way to look at being single or at being married. Um, in the world that we live in, there are really two dynamics at work at the same time, and they're they're sort of uh, opposed to one another. There are two ways that we tend to make relationships, at least in the context of singleness, into idols. On the one hand, there's the person who is single and wants to be married, and is longing to be married, and uh, believes that if the right person would just come along that they would get married, that they would fall in love, and they would live happily ever after. It's the Disney princess uh, idol, right? And at the same time, and on the other hand, there is the person who is not married and never, ever, ever wants anyone to tie them down. Um, I don't know what that is. Jason will figure it out, don't worry about it. I don't know. Somebody's computer is ringing. Okay. The person who wants to keep their options open. The person who, who wants to live a life of freedom and do their own thing. the It's like the uh, Marlboro Man uh, idol. Uh, that's a hard word for me to pronounce, but you know what I mean? Like the uh, the Marlboro Man. How do you say that word? Marlboro Man. I just You can't get the L in there. You know what I mean. You know, he's living a life of adventure, he's roping cattle in Wyoming, he's climbing the Rockies, and he's jet skiing in Florida, and you know, women want him and men want to be him, but nobody's going to tie him down. Um, Okay, these two kind of opposing views of singleness, and each one of them is an idol in that, an idol is anything, even a good thing, that we make into an ultimate thing. It's fine, Paul is saying, to want to be married. It's fine to want to not be married, to want to be single. But when we take take either of those desires and we say, it's almost like I can't feel like a full human being without them, that's when we are in the territory of idolatry. We think we can only be fully human if our desires are fulfilled. And when that happens, we end up hurting ourselves and other people. There was an article in the New York Times in 2012. New York Times obviously not writing from a uh, Christian perspective. Um, but this article was called the, Down- the Downside of Cohabiting. And it was reporting just um, the, the reality of cohabitation, two people living together who are not married in our culture. And it said that cohabitation has increased by 1,500% since 1960. It said the majority of young adults in their 20s will live with a romantic partner at least once outside of marriage, and more than a half of all marriage will be preceded preceded by cohabitation. And I I know that the reality is that this this is so commonplace in our culture that it seems common sense or prudish to even say what I just said, which is quoting the New York Times, by the way. Um, But the research indicates that couples who live together before marriage tend to be less satisfied with their marriage and more likely to divorce than couples who do not. And as researchers dug deeper into the reasons for this, what they discovered is that when a couple decides to move in together, they often, the, the, the two people in that relationship, are often making that decision for unspoken and completely different reasons. Um, In general, women are more likely to view cohabitation as as a step towards marriage, while men are more likely to see it as a way to postpone commitment. Okay, so think about the long-term implications of a situation where you have uh, two people moving in together and she's doing it because she wants commitment and he's doing it because he doesn't. Um, This is the picture. Disney Princess and Marlboro Man. (laughs) are moving in together and they're both super pumped. (laughs) And Cinderella is excited because she has finally found the man of her dreams and she is gonna live happily ever after. And the Marlboro man is excited because he doesn't wanna commit to her and he still gets to sleep with her. And um, he doesn't really wanna break up with her, but he is definitely not gonna marry her. And mutually, um, what they're doing is using each other to satisfy a selfish desire. To get what they want out of the relationship without giving um, themselves or committing themselves to one another. And I suppose it works in sort of a pragmatic way until it doesn't, until it doesn't. And the consequences are difficult and painful. What all this means is this The gospel takes our idols off the pedestals That we've placed them on It takes both the connection and independence idols And it shows that they can never actually deliver On what they promise And at the same time the gospel points us to Jesus And says he is the one who He is the only one who can truly fulfill What our heart most deeply longs for And so listen to this if If you are a person who is longing to be married But you're afraid that you will end up alone Then Paul says to look to Jesus because he has bought you with a price. And he loves you. And you are afraid that you'll end up alone and Jesus understands what it is like to be alone. Jesus understands more than we ever will what it is like to be alone because can you imagine this? On the worst night of your life, Jesus on the worst night of his life He's already been rejected by his family. Um, He only has a few people left who still call him friends. And one of them has agreed to take money in order to betray him. And Jesus, knowing what is happening, says to his three closest friends, he begs them and says, I just need you to stay with me. And yet they keep falling asleep on him. And eventually he is arrested And those friends deny even knowing who Jesus was. And Jesus is humiliated, he is taunted, and he is stripped naked. And he hangs on the cross, and on the cross, his God and Father, the one who has loved him intimately for his entire life, abandons him as well. And that is what it feels like to be alone. And you will never have to feel that. Because that is the price that Jesus paid to buy you. He has suffered the most ultimate sense of loneliness and betrayal. And that's the price that he paid to make you his own. He loves you. And he is with you. He is with you always. And that means that if you are single and you want to be married... The reason that you are not married cannot be because God doesn't love you. He does love you. He is paid. He has bought you. He's bought you with a price. And if, on the other hand, you are single and you never want to be married, you don't want to be tied down or committed to anyone because you want your freedom, Paul says to look to Jesus because you too have been bought with a price. You want to be free, and Jesus has bought your freedom. Right before Jesus went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, he called out to God, he said, please take this cup from me. And what he was saying is, knowing what he was about to endure, he said, I really don't want to do this. And through his silence, God the Father says, there is no other way. There is no other way. And so Jesus on the cross, as he hung on the cross, he doesn't look down on those he was dying to save with this kind of overwhelming sense of admiration and pride because he's looking at us. He's looking at people who are fickle. He's looking at people who are half-hearted. He's looking at people who one moment will say, Jesus is the most important thing in my life, and then the next moment turn around and pretend like it makes no difference whatsoever. And he was faithful. And he stuck by you. And what I want you to see is that in Jesus you find a love that brings you freedom instead of taking it away. And in Jesus you find a love that opens up to you a life of adventure instead of tying you down. And in Jesus you can experience a love that truly satisfies your wanderlust. The gospel strips the idols of connection and independence of their power. And the gospel sets you free to be married or to be single. Secondly, the gospel shows us that singleness is advantageous in the kingdom of God. Now this might be the least popular thing I ever say. But listen to these words. I say this for your own benefit not to lay any restraint on you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. What Paul is saying is that in Jesus the kingdom of God has come. This new reality that the rule of God is present and is extending out in not just in our lives but 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 out into all of creation. And that reality reshapes everything and that reality Paul's for our allegiance. And Paul is saying that if you are a Christian, your devotion to Jesus and to the kingdom of God trumps everything else. And that, that looks different for, for many of us. It might look like, it might change the way you look at your job. It might, it might mean giving up comforts in order to, you know, to, to serve God. Um, it's a claim on our hearts it's a claim on our allegiance Um, what that means another way to say that is if you're a Christian you are living for something larger than yourself and that reality that thing larger than yourself affects everything about the way that you live yesterday we spent our day at the soccer field because we have three boys playing soccer and my uh, one son who is my not so aggressive son scored a goal and he runs over and I said, I'm so proud of you. You scored. Like, how did you do that? And he said, um, he said, my coach told me that if we scored a goal, he would buy us a snow cone. (laughs) (laughs) He literally didn't care about scoring the goal, but he was pumped about the snow cone because he was living for something larger than the task at hand. And that larger reality, the goal of that snow cone, reshaped the way that he went about that task. Mm -hmm. You understand the point, right? (laughs) And that plays out in so many ways, but it plays out in our relationships. And it's just kind of obvious, isn't it, that if you are single, um, you have... um, not that you have more, more to offer than a married person, but you have more time. Um, it's just kind of obvious, isn't it? He says in this passage um, the, well, the, the, that it is advantageous for the sake of the kingdom, this larger reality that reshapes the way that we live our lives, to make a decision to say, I'm going to live as a single celibate person because I can get a lot more done for the sake of the kingdom. He says in this passage, if you're betrothed, it's okay to not get married. Why is he saying that? He's saying, well, maybe when you were five, your parents betrothed you to somebody, and that person is not a believer because you probably weren't a believer 20 years ago. And it's okay to not follow through and to not get married. Um, you're You're free to be single because you're living for something bigger than yourself. You are free to give yourself to the Lord. Um, But listen to what Paul is saying here. He's saying you are free to give yourself to the Lord. You are not free, however, to live a life of self-indulgence. And here is the reality, and this is hard to say, and especially having confessed that I've never experienced this reality. Um, but, But the reality is that we live in a culture where singleness is sort of this prolonged uh, time to indulge ourselves I um, heard a story about a, a, a guy who was talking to his pastor he just graduated from college and he was dating this girl and this and pastor said are you guys going to get engaged and he said you know I don't think I'm uh, really mature enough to get married yet and so probably going to wait a couple of years before, before I ask her to marry me and his pastor looked at him and said you know you're right that you are not mature and if you think that a couple of years of hanging out with your buddies and drinking beer and watching ESPN is going to fix that, then you are crazy. Um, we live in a culture where singleness has become this kind of time to just indulge ourselves and do what we want and see the world and discover ourselves. Um, and you know, no matter how much we we, um, we want to rephrase it. It's about self-indulgence. And the Gospel says, no, you are free to be single, but that doesn't mean that you are free to serve yourself because you have been bought with a price. You are not free to isolate yourself. If you are a single person, you are not free to isolate yourself from community. You are not free... To live any way you want because you are bought, you have been bought with a price. Jesus has put his mark on you in baptism, and you are a member of his body, the church. And we need you. We need you. The body of Christ needs you. We need, not because we need to sort of somehow come alongside and indulge the single people who haven't gotten their life. No, we need people. Uh, who don't have kids. We need people who are unmarried. We need people who are widows. A couple weeks ago, after the first service, a college student came up to me and said, you know, you said this in your sermon and it really made me mad. And I needed to hear that because I don't have the perspective of a single 22-ish year old person. I don't have, we don't have the perspective uh, of every, We need you. I mean, I don't know how else to say it than that. Maybe another way to say it is this, that uh, I, I mean, in a totally different context, I, I got to have lunch this week with a, with a friend who, hadn't, who hasn't been to church in a while, and I just said, I've missed you. I've missed seeing your smiling face, and I need, like, this is hard work, and I need you to just sit there and smile at me sometimes. And if you're single, you just have more of that to give. Um, I could I could illustrate that probably in different ways, but I, I remember this this time after Ashley and I had finished grad school and we had just moved back to Pasadena and we were we were so excited because um, some of our best friends were there and they were in our church and and we were uh, you know we were each married and we'd have kids. and I remember hanging out with them once and just saying. We were at the kind of stage in, in kind of our mid-20s where everybody we knew was having kids. And I remember looking at them once and saying, you guys aren't about to like, get pregnant, are you? Because you, know, you get pregnant and then you just don't ever have friends again. Uh, and they're like, oh, no, we're not, no. <laughs> like three weeks later, hey, so remember that conversation? And we're like, okay, well, I guess you know, we'll, see you, we'll see you in 18 months, right? It's just true that, like, if you're married and you don't have kids, you have more time. If you're single, you just have more time. You have more of that to give, and the body of Christ needs you. The gospel sets us free to live as married people or as single people. The gospel of Jesus says that at the end of the day, you will never regret anything that you have given up for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. And i got to tell you, I remind myself of that regularly because it applies in all sorts of ways. But no single person will ever look back on their life and say, I regret what I gave up because of the kingdom. It is possible to live as a single celibate person. It is possible to to take the Bible's sexual ethic seriously. Uh, I mean, think about it like this. Um, There is regularly, there regularly comes for me a point in the day where I am so hungry. And Jason experiences this all the time. We'll be in a meeting in the morning, and I'll look at him and and I'll say, if I don't eat something now, I'm going to punch somebody. And in that moment of being hangry, it is so frustrating to not have food. And yet there are other contexts in which, let's say you're on a diet, and you're I'm going to, you know, keto, right? Like, I'm going to try to look like Robert. I'm going to be keto. <laughs> Good and when you say, I'm, 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 I'm denying myself, you learn to live with the hunger, and it's just not the end of the world. <laughs> okay? It is possible to live as a single chaste person in our world. But if we go around with this attitude that we are missing out on the most important thing that can ever happen to us, it will be almost impossible. And yet, if we have this sense that this is the sacred calling that God has called us to, and for the sake of the kingdom, it's worth it, then it is entirely, is entirely possible. It's okay. You're free to be single. Um, you're free to be married, but you're free to be single. Um, but you're also free to be single and to want to be married. Um Chapter 7, verse 39 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. I heard somebody say that is the only Bible verse that directly speaks to dating. Uh, If you want to be married, you're free to get married, but you have to marry somebody who loves the Lord. It's incredibly... um, Free, but with one um, with one restriction. And Paul is saying this for your own good. For your own good. Um, I could unpack that more, but let's just keep moving. Um, you're free to be married. You're free to be single. Um, several years ago, I was at a conference, and I met a, uh, a man named Robertson McQuilkin. And uh, Robertson McQuilkin had been the the president of Columbia International University in South Carolina. And um, he was married, and um, his wife, in her 50s, began uh, first to just lose track of things. And before long, they um, discovered that she was dealing with the early onset of Alzheimer's disease. And um, Robertson McQuilkin um, described how she began to fail, and her memory went, and her language went, till soon the only, almost the only thing she could say. She would look at her husband and say, I love you. And um, in his role as a college president, they had a house on or near campus, and he would be at work in his office and she would walk from home to his office and she would come in and say I just came to tell you that I love you. And he would spend a few moments with her and then a student or an assistant would gently walk her back home and an hour or so later she would show up again and say I just came to remind you that I love you. And um, she forgot everything, but she still remembered the love of her life and how to get back in. And um, Dr. McQuilkin said that one night as he was putting her to bed, he took off her shoes and discovered that the bottoms of her feet were caked in blood from this just constant shuffling back and forth to find the one that she loved. And he said that the sight of the blood changed everything. And he retired early from a prestigious position as college president to care for his beloved. And when he announced his retirement, he said, he wrote these words. He said, recently it has become apparent that Muriel is contented most of the time that she is with me. And almost none of the time that I'm away from her. It is not just discontent, she is filled with fear, even terror that she has lost me, and always goes in search of me when I leave home. So it is clear to me that she needs me now, full time. The decision was made in a way, 42 years ago, when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Duty can be grim and stoic, but there is more. I love Muriel. She is a delight to me. I don't have to care for her. I get to. Isn't that beautiful? Her love gave him the power to joyfully live out his calling. And the same is true for you. You were made to live for more than yourself. And our choice in the culture that we live in is to pursue relational idolatry with the mistaken belief that that is what will fulfill us. Or we can look to Jesus and see that he has bought us with a price. And that means that you are free to be single and content. You are free to be single and want to be married. You are free to be married and content but you are made to live for more than yourself. And when you see Jesus and look to his cross, when you know his constant love for you and his undying faithfulness, it is his devotion to you that will give you the power to live out the life that he has called you to live. And that is good news. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you love us. That you love us enough uh, to be lonely for us. That you love us enough to be betrayed for us. Thank you that you love us enough to stick with us when it's not pleasant, when it doesn't do anything for you. And Jesus, we pray, I pray that we who are longing for significance and fulfillment and adventure and satisfaction and love and belonging, that we would experience it because the gospel is true. And because the gospel is true, that we would actually feel those things in tangible ways in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, and in our family, and in the church. I pray that we would be a church that is uh, not just a church for marrieds or families, um, but that we would be a church for people, whoever they are, that we would uh, welcome the lonely, um, that we would welcome those who are searching for a life of freedom and adventure. And with the reality of your kingdom come in our midst, change us into people who are content to live the life that you have called us to live. I pray this in Jesus' name.